Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Ben, and you've already met Melissa. And uh, in a minute, we're going to do our fourth installment of the message uh, based on the game Operation. We're going to talk about uh, moving towards health as families, moving towards health in our relationships. And we're going to look to the Bible. The Bible loves to talk to us about relationships and gives us so much wisdom. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But first, Melissa, I wanted to take a few minutes and let folks uh, reflect with us because we have something pretty big coming up. Yes. That's one thing. But the other thing is, is, people may not know this, but you have been in your current role with us on staff for right at one year now. Right. So tell everybody what you were doing and what you've been doing around here for the last year. Okay. Well, I was the middle school pastor before, and then about a year ago, I took over um, all of high school and middle school, so it's students, and we also have a parent um, part of that that goes along with it. And uh, over the last year, can you tell us some of the things that have happened as a result of the ministry that you lead and your team leads to students? Well, for, um, for one thing, we have a fantastic team that's come into place um, that wasn't necessarily here before. It wasn't. It was a lot of just me and um, a lot of volunteers. But now we have a staff team built around our students, which has made an incredible difference. So Will, who you guys all know is Worship Will, the nice one up here, um, he has taken on a role as a high school director. He speaks every Sunday night to our high school students. He is amazing. It's it's been so cool to watch um, that part of his um, spiritual development and that part of his growth um, as not just a worship leader, but as a pastor and as a speaker. Um, so that's been awesome. We I, have, I know my, my kids really yes, enjoy him. Yes. So, so that's a big step. So I've heard a couple things. Major step forward in staffing for students. Mm-hmm. And so what you should know is about a year ago, we made an intentional move to not just have one person try to do it all, but we would have the pastor leader, and then we would give them support staff in addition. The ministry demands were just such that one person couldn't do it. And while Melissa was incredible, she needed help, and you've got that. You've got a great team. Oh, I do. And uh, so one of them is Will. Who else? Allison Harpel. She's my administrative assistant, and she is um, what holds all of it together. Um, I don't know how we do it without her, but she's allowed us to go totally to the next level. She keeps everything organized. And then we have a worship leader as well. Um, John Holmes um, has been leading worship. We also have Andrew Polly, who's coming on um, as of this week, actually, to lead for high school. Um, So that's been fantastic to be able to take Will out of that role and put him in this. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, that's incredible. And those folks that serve, in addition to you, serve part-time, we pay them three cents a week. Um, (laughs) Four, maybe. Yeah, it's how it works. But they do so much more than, obviously, their income uh, uh, reflects. But they're such a big part of the team. But you have an amazing volunteer team as well. Oh, gosh. The best team I've ever had. Um, they are fantastic. My small, our small group leaders, they show up every single week um, to uh, lead their small group. Um, they're in contact with their kids during the week. They're doing social stuff on the side. But most of all, they're really taking those kids deeper in the Bible. Um, they're opening the Bibles every week in their small group, and they're, um, they're, they're making a huge impact on our kids. We had a really nice training event uh, for small group leaders because we believe that an investment in students pays off handsomely. (laughs) We think that when churches invest deeply in student ministries, when volunteers invest in students, that the return on that is almost immeasurable because it anchors their soul. And no matter where they go in life, that anchor tends to hold. And so you and your team are just killing it. They are. So a year in, you ready to quit? 
No, I'm ready to go. This average is like length of it. stay in America for the average youth pastor, 18, 18 months. months. I'm in 13 years, so we're good. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm really, really glad to hear that. It's a weird thing. But so that's a little bit of history. You've seen some dramatic shifts over the last year. Mm-hmm. Last year kicked off with a bang. What was last year's event, and why are we talking about it now? Last year, for the first time, we did a mission camp for students. And so we took um, 70, about 58 kids, 70 total people, to a mission camp in... Um, Mount Lookout, Georgia. And it's a student life camp. It's cool because it's a hybrid of a mission trip and a camp experience. And so we kind of, we went into it, you and I, thinking, well, we've never done this before. People don't like new things. We'll see how it goes. How many spots should we get? And we went back and forth, 2025. We said, we're going to do 30. We're going to go big. And the next morning after our parent meeting, we had oversold it by almost 20 spots. And by the time it came, we were at 70. That's incredible. So, yeah. Now, at this mission camp, so this is a place where kids just go and have fun for a week? Some, yes. Okay. It's not just fun, though. All right. Um, they work in the inner city of Chattanooga. Um, last year, we were at several rec centers and apartment complexes doing vacation Bible school-ish things with kids. But we had our high school leaders who were teaching Bible stories. They were leading crafts. They were doing um, games with the kids. And they interacted with the same kids all week. We also had um, a Crabtree Farm experience, which was... Um, it. Instead of um, a food bank just offering canned goods, in Chattanooga, they like to offer fresh fruits and vegetables. And so a lot of our kids went, and they harvested, and they planted, and they worked really hard, and they had a blast. Um, But they worked at the farm all week and got uh, produce ready for the uh, food banks. So there were three parts. There was a fun component. Mm -hmm. There was the serving the community. And then at night, there was a worship service. Oh, amazing worship service. In the morning and at night, there's a worship service with a great speaker they bring in. He's there all week. Um, he He was fantastic, really related to the kids. The worship was amazing. Um, there were dramas and skits that built on each other. Each night was more serious. In the mornings, it was more fun. Um, so it was a really great, well-rounded, um, re- well-rounded experience. All right, so that's what the week is like. But what impact did it have on kids? In fact, do we have a couple pictures? We do. I think. I think Would you so. guys just kind of scroll those while we're talking? Okay. Why don't you tell folks the impact this had and why it was so important? Well, we had six kids accept Jesus on our camp trip, which was amazing. We had more than I can count say they were recommitting their lives. We baptized 18 students last year um, after camp had happened. Um, The kids have just made... um, just great strides, and we have, um, I, I, can't, I can't even explain the, the, the directional shift we were talking about earlier in the week. You know, you can't change a kid overnight. You can't change their destination overnight, but you can shift their direction yeah. here and there. That was awesome. Yeah, I I'm making that. that point in the message. This is just a spiritual truth. You can't change your destination overnight. You can't, but you can change your direction almost immediately. And this camp does that. It shifted the direction it, it makes, for those kids. It makes a two, three, ten degree difference moment. But over time, that shift towards the Lord and towards walking with Jesus mm-hmm. in your life makes all the difference. Yes. So here, here's the deal, Four Corners. We are a spiritual family. And um, you don't know everybody here, but you need to know something about this church. We are deeply committed to students and kids. Because we think that healthy families is core to our call as a congregation. Other churches are called to other things. They do a lot of great things. And you look around the city, churches have personalities. They're unique. Our unique thing is we are uniquely called to serve families in Mm -hmm. North Cincinnati. Marriages, students, kids, grandparents, that sort of thing. It's a big deal to us. And you guys are winning on this. We are. I mean, you're seeing God do dramatic stuff. Now, there's a big event next week related because the backstory to last year's event was this church family got together 
and raised $22,000 to send kids to camp. In two hours over lunch, yes. So how much does camp cost? Camp costs $450. Wait, that's a lot of money. It is. I think it's too expensive. Well, this is the thing. It's $350 for the camp itself, which includes their housing, their food, all of the mission When I, when I was a kid and I supplies. went to camp, it was like $35. Well, it's not anymore. <laughs> we could go camping for $35. Okay. But yeah. So it's like $450. Bucks. That's transportation. That's everything. Transportation, food, everything. And so while it is a lot of money, all joking aside, the value for the money is incredible. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Everything's included. I mean, they don't need to bring anything else. No. And that's still just a lot of money for a lot of folks. And right. so as a church family, we got together and we held a student auction. And this year's student auction is next week. It is, next and Sunday. And when folks came in the door, they saw the silent auction stuff that will go live next week. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the student auction next this week. This is the thing with the student auction. We, I, we believe that it's imperative for a kid to have a sense of responsibility and we want them to own this trip that they're taking. We don't want to just hand it out. Yay, your church family sent them to camp. We want for them to work for it, to earn it, um, and to have a stake in it. So they that, come that, up that, with... That kind of goes against the culture a sorry, little bit. Sorry, counter... Wait, I can't do my C's. Counterculture. Counterculture, yeah, okay. Um, student thing. Um, take, but, responsibility take responsibility and then get the So every one of our students that's going, it is mandatory that they participate in the auction, number one. So they all come up with a service or something that they're willing to do to work for their camp experience. And then we ask for you to come and encourage them, to cheer them on, to bid on them. Um, And really, when you see a kid up there offering, you know, two months of yard work, you're not really bidding on that yard work. You're really saying, I'm going to send that kid to camp. I'm going to send that kid to camp. So they've paid their deposits of $60. So we're right about $390 right now that's left. Now tell me how many kids this year. We're sending 90 people. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to give it up right there. That's incredible. Yep. We have, uh, yeah, 78 hey, so students. So here's what happened. These things, camp and other things, you had these as a kid. You have these anchor moments. I mean, these light watershed, red-letter days, and they literally become a part of the story of your life. And that happened last it year. It did. And it's going to happen for more kids this year. Some kids are going to double down. It's going to be beautiful. But our church family is invited next week after the end of second service yes. to do what exactly? We have lunch um, by La Rosa's. We're having pasta and salad and cookies and stuff so you can come Plenty to the lunch. Plenty of food. Plenty of food. We have suggested donations for the food. But it is free if you can't afford it. It is free if you can't and afford no it. And if you want to pay more for the food, you can pay more for All the food. All right, calm but, down. Sorry. Anyway. Um, uh. And then... <laughs> Um, and then um, and we have a real we have an auctioneer this year, which right. I'm super excited about. So we'll have the personal touch of, in, of um, introducing you to each one of the kids quickly. We're going to run it along this year, and the auctioneer is going to go crazy and have some fun with it. And so these kids are going to stand on stage. They're going to get uh-huh. the, the, the 15, 20 second introduction. This kid, this thing. But the catalog on every other seat has it all in there. It does. So you can get a preview. And I found a couple things I want. And I'm going to tell you straight I did up. Too. I know you want money, but I'm asking people not to bid. If I raise my hand, <laughs> please don't bid against me. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm... that means you want it. Well, you have to bid higher. <laughs> all right. So, it, so it's not just about money, but it no. takes money to make these kinds of investments. We all understand that. We want to make it affordable for all of our kids to yeah, be able to What go. if you don't have a kid involved? You, oh, by f- definitely still come. This is our church family. And when they see you bidding on them last year, um, that was one of the highlights of their whole trip. I was at my friend's house the other day. Her kid, they don't go here. Her kid came to camp, and he was writing an essay. And he said, here, read my essay, read my essay. And it was all about the auction. I can't say without crying. But it was all about the auction of people like bidding you on him. It's okay to I cry. Do. It's all right. Yeah, but I thought that was a year so ago. It, this kid wrote in his school essay yes, all about the auction. all about the auction. People were like, 
200, 250. And she, he's like writing it all out, like word for word. It was kind of fun, yeah. That's incredible. I know. That's incredible. And so they can come. Everybody can come. Yes. What if you're a parent and your kid's already going? Why don't I just write a check? Please don't just write a check because I want the kids to have the experience of their family as a whole supporting them. So if, you, if you're a parent in the room and you can write the check for your kid, um, go ahead and come and, and bid on somebody else's kid. Have some fun with it. Take the amount that you would have paid for your own kid and go crazy on other kids or bid on the silent auction um, and put that money right back in because I feel like if those of us who can send our kids do it through other ways um, and then the ones who really can't do it they will make they'll be able to go because of the generosity of everybody else in the room so yeah well it's going to be a great time Here, here's what I'd ask if you at all can um, come and be a part even if you don't have any money to bid yep. come be a part Clap for kids next Sunday after second service. If you come to first service like you are, you can go grab a bite to eat if you want or just hang out. And then come to the event right after second service. About what time are we saying? About 1245. As soon as we're out, we're going to head through the student doors. You'll go and ahead and, and get your food. Yes, over I'll there. be right over there. So 1245. And come even if you don't intend and, and support kids. Last year, it was about... The, you know, it was mostly the parents and about 20% non-parent people in the room, mm -hmm. but they came because they wanted to be a part. And this year, we'd right. like to see that. Really I would experience. love, and for you too, I'd love for you to experience it. Um, at, I've been here eight years, and th that was one of the most um, amazing moments of a church family coming together that I've had since I've been here. So it, you, you won't want to miss it, even if you're not going to bid. Good. Become bit anyway. And if there's one thing, <laughs> she pushes me all sorry, the sorry. time. I ain't going. Uh, <laughs> what's one thing that we can pray for you and the student ministries at Four Corners? You can pray that um, that we take this to the next level. That that their relationship with Jesus doesn't um, isn't a Sunday thing. That it's all that they're all in. That this is an. That, Jesus is the center of everything, and it happens on Sunday mornings when they get a chance to worship and they get a chance to hear a message and can talk in small groups. But um, when you start to see that um, go out into the rest of their life, um, and it's a game changer. And we saw that last year. We saw them starting to bring it into their sports teams and their dance teams and their school and their neighborhood and all of that. But um, we can take it up another notch, and I can't even imagine. You know, when you take a few kids to camp, they come back and they're rah rah excited, and kids are sad they didn't go. When you take a few kids to camp more. Sometimes it can shift a little bit, but it wanes after a while. But when you take 85 to 90% of your student ministry, and we're running over 100 kids a week now, or 100 people a week, um, when that happens and you come back, it's just, it's on. It's absolutely on. So I can't wait to see what God does with it this year. Melissa, thanks for your leadership. Thank you to your team for all of you that are out there. And thank you yes. guys. Would you help me say thank you for what they're doing? <clears throat> That's incredible. Would you uh, grab your message notes and we'll begin. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find the message note or the, the, the scripture passages we're referring to in your notes. You can go to your phone as well. But our guiding passage today is Proverbs 24. And I want to talk to you about this idea, moving towards healthy families. Now, if you're a single person, you still have a family. This applies to you. But if you want to, just for the sake of your emotional well-being, call it moving towards healthy relationships, it applies. Now, a little disclosure. Um, I don't have a PhD in this stuff formally, but I almost feel like I should get an honorary doctorate, not because I have succeeded and done so well and contributed to the field of family studies, but I have messed up enough in family stuff and have learned through the School of Hard Knocks a lot about family dynamics that while I'm not an expert, when I read the Bible, sometimes truths just jump out at me and I go intuitively 
That's true because the Bible says it is. And then I go pragmatically, that's true because I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know what happens when those things aren't in place. And today, I'm going to share with you five basic movements towards healthy relationships. And these, to me, are core essential things. Everywhere, there is a healthy, vibrant relationship among followers of Jesus. I have found these things to be true. And when people sit in my office and they talk about challenges, or when I'm talking with friends, or when I'm sharing from my own challenges, usually one of these five things is a little bit out of alignment. And so I want to give you an opportunity today to do a little operation. I want you to operate on yourself a little bit. And I want you to, if you don't mind, walk through these five ideas with me, these biblical concepts of healthy relationships, and just do a little check mark. Do you got it? And if you do, good. But if as we're talking, one or two things comes up that you feel like you need to work on, I would like you to give yourself permission to be honest with yourself, to not get emotional such that you're not willing to look in the mirror a little bit. Because the truth is, is relationships are what bring us the greatest joy and satisfaction in life. And on the other hand, when our relationships aren't going well, nothing is more troubling and upsetting and robbing us of the joy God means for his kids to have. So with that said, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, at the top of your page, here's what the Bible says. It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. Families go through seasons. And what worked in season one of your life, the last season, or the one a long time ago, 10 years ago, may or may not work in the current season that you're in. Jill and I learned this as we started having kids. We had been married about five years, and all of a sudden, we have a daughter. And life was good before our daughter. In fact, as I reflect on it, it was wonderful. (laughs) And my daughter's great, too. But things shifted. Things changed. I realized I was no longer the most important person in the family. I'm still struggling with that a little bit. I realized that I didn't have all the money I used to have in my wallet. I'm still struggling with that a little bit. And I realized that there was this person, living, breathing organism on the face of the earth that had me wrapped around her little finger. And I'm still struggling with that. I I really am. I joke, but it's the total truth. As soon as she was born, the nurse looked at me and said, take a good look at that baby because it's going to cost you a lot of money over the course of your life. (laughs) And she was right. (laughs) But what worked for Jill and I before we had kids didn't work when we had a kid. Things shifted. Now, there were some things we were able to carry forward, but some things needed adjustment. And when we had one kid, it was one thing. But then we had two, and then three, and now we have 47 children. No, we only have four, but there comes a point when there's like exponential increase. And what used to work when we had one kid didn't work when we had four. And what used to work when they were preschool doesn't work now that they're in high school and one's graduated college. Seasons come and go. You know what this is like. Some of you have had kids. Some of you have multiple kids. You'll be able to relate to this. You know, with our first kid, as an example of change, we took one zillion pictures Everywhere we went, we had a camera. And there are pictures all over the walls in our house of our first kid. And of our second kid, we took about 10,000 pictures. 
dramatically less. And on the third kid, we took exactly 43 pictures. And there isn't a single picture of our fourth kid anywhere. Now, that's an exaggeration, but not too much. Things just change over time. You know what this is like, ladies, those of you that had children. You know when you have your first kid and the doctor confirms that you're pregnant, you can't wait to wear your maternity clothes. You're like, woo, I am pregnant. I want the world to see. And you're, you know, you're putting selfies of your baby bump, even when you don't have one, right online. You can't wait. But when you have the second kid, you want to wear your normal clothes as long as possible. And when you have your third kid, your maternity clothes are your normal clothes. <laughs> right? You know that things change over time. You know how that works. We had our first kid and we had a babysitter. <laughs> we got so prepared for the babysitter. Our last instructions to the babysitter was call every five minutes to give us an update. We had our second kid just before we left the house. About five minutes before we left, we said, hey, here's a number if you need us. We had our third kid and we hired a babysitter. We would say things like, don't call unless they're bleeding. Right? Things change. Things change. And in those different seasons of life, sometimes we need new wisdom. It's not that our wisdom is old. Wisdom never goes out of style. But how we understand how to apply it needs to shift. So I've, again, identified about five things that I think always goes well in a relationship dynamic between followers of Jesus. And these will not be new, but let's take a moment to see if they're active in our lives. Here's number one, first point. Committed, growing faith in Jesus. Committed, growing faith in Jesus. One way we could say this is that you have an active, authentic faith. And that implies that it's possible to have an inactive, inauthentic faith. And it is. It's not that the faith isn't true, but faith can go dormant. Your participation in your walk with Jesus can actually go dormant. Now, I'm going to tell you a little thing that I discovered after pastoring this church for a few years. And early on, we were mostly all young couples. And there were just, you know, the normal life shifts that happen and Folks would sit down and they would talk. And it, after a couple years, it dawned on me that 80% of the time when couples are describing what's going on in their marriage, at the core of it isn't whatever they're talking about. It's not the calendar alone. It's not the money dynamic alone. It's not the he doesn't know the words to say to fill me up alone. Often at the core of those conflicts that were not going away, those lingering conflicts was an inactive faith. People weren't pressing in to their own spiritual growth. And that active work of God in their life, well, they were still going to heaven, but they weren't pressing in and asking questions like, God, is the fruit of the Spirit, is that being born in my life? God, do my words reflect your character, the words I'm speaking in my relationship? Am I loving in the way you modeled for me to love? That wasn't happening. Faith had grown cold. It had grown dormant. And I'm going to submit to you that it's almost impossible as a Christian to have a vibrant, alive relationship without a vibrant, alive, active faith. 
one of the reasons we've structured our church around spiritual growth. Both introducing people to Jesus and having an, a, that awakening moment and helping them grow beyond that is because we believe the best life you can live is a life where you're actively involved in your faith. That's why for us, church, while it happens on Sunday, just like Melissa was talking about with students, it's not a Sunday morning faith. One of the four pillars that became Four Corners Church was we believe that your spiritual life is a 24-7 endeavor. And you don't come to church and put it on and on your way home take it off. No, God's Holy Spirit that resides in every believer intends to have an active, dynamic engagement with every part of your life. So faith becomes real. Moms and dads. When you have an authentic and real faith, it doesn't mean you're perfect. But when you blow it in front of your family, like I have, they kind of know what to do with that behavior. It's not just wrong. It doesn't just hurt. It doesn't just bring damage or disappointment. It's the kind of thing that they can evaluate through the lens of this is not our Christian value. And they can evaluate it through the lens of Perfection was never the goal for Christians, but a vibrant humility and repentance, change of behavior over time as the Holy Spirit leads. That's the normative path for a Christian. And it gives context then to the challenges we have as families. It also raises hope that we have as families, that our love over time does begin to look more like the love that Jesus gave to us. The, the love our heavenly father had that motivated him to be so generous in sending his son, Jesus. I believe at the end of the day, the best relationship I, advice I can give you is get close to Jesus. Stay in his word. Make prayer an active part of your life. Get in a community of other followers of Jesus going in the same direction. And then talk honestly about your spiritual growth. The spillover of that dynamic touches every area of your life. It literally improves, often saves marriages. It literally redeems time lost with bad parenting practices that we've all experienced and participated in. Grace and God's spirit can redeem a lot of that time. My parents weren't perfect, but one thing my parents did really well as they demonstrated regularly in front of the four kids in my family growing up an intentional, vibrant faith. So let me tell you a couple of phrases we heard in my house a lot. You may think this sounds archaic and old and old-fashioned, but I wouldn't change a thing. When I started dating, my mom would say to me, that girl's really pretty. I don't know if she believed that or not, if that was just softening me up. But she would say, that girl's really pretty, and you can do whatever you want when you're out tonight. We won't know. But understand, she wasn't giving me permission. She was setting me up for the next statement, which was this. But God has a call on your life. And God has already claimed you as his own. So when you're out there and we don't know, God knows what's happening. Doggone it. And I'd go off to my date. Now. That wasn't once. 
That was over and over again. Here's what they were doing. They were calling the faith of our family to bear on the moment. Just one way. I got a thousand of those. It wasn't unusual for me at dinner table when we were praying over the food, I would try to get out of it. And the way in our family you got out of it, you threw your thumb up. You know this. You know how you do this? You sit at the dinner table, everybody throws their thumbs up, last one to throw up their thumb, they have to pray because praying over the food is a punishment. So that's how that works. So I kind of throw my thumb up and I often was, but if my dad or mom was the brand praying over the food, we didn't pray for the food only. We prayed for every kid at the table. And I would hear my mom and dad call out my name in prayer to the Lord. And there was an active, vibrant faith. They did a lot wrong, Right? But they did the right things in such a way that there really was an anchor driven into my soul. So in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. That's what we're talking about. But look, look at the impact. But his children or her children have a place of refuge and security. When your faith is strong and vibrant and active and not on a shelf, and it's not one day a week, what happens is, is it gives your family refuge and security. Melissa said it, but I'm going to tell you again. You cannot change your destination overnight, but today, even like right now, you can begin to change your direction. So if your faith isn't active as it should be, like you're still going to heaven, you still care, but it's gone dark a bit, the Bible's a little dusty, like, it's been a long time since you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit about your own behavior. You felt it for other people, but you haven't felt it for you. Then I want to ask you to think about Joshua's words in Joshua 25, 15. Here's what Joshua said. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And he made that decision and put that stake in the ground. And that decision in a moment had reverberating impact on his life over the next several generations. You, as a follower of Jesus, cannot have the kind of quality of relationship that the Lord wants you to have if the Lord really isn't the active center of your life. And the good news about this is, is he wants to be. And you can literally change the direction of your life in a moment, even like right now. And when people do this, I'm just telling you, I've seen relationships long thought dead begin to flourish. I have. I've seen it happen. I've seen kids who look like they were going in the wrong direction over time, not in a moment, but those small momentary trajectory changes led to a turn of course, back to health and vitality and wisdom. Yeah, I don't know a single family that I look at and say, I want to be like that, that doesn't have an active, vibrant faith. And there's a thousand ways that can be expressed. The question becomes, are you seeking out active ways for your faith to direct and guide your life? And I give you major kudos already. So you get a, you know, you're way ahead of the curve because you're here. And you're sitting in a room and we're talking. But this can't be all of it. You got to pick up and own it yourself. Number two. Let me tell you another major step towards healthier families and relationships. I've never known a family to succeed without this. Realistically managed schedules. Realistically managed schedules. The best families I know are intentional with their calendar. 
and they guard their time together. That's hard to do. We're very busy. If you don't believe me, listen to Cornell University. The average dad, seven minutes a day in engagement with their kids. And if you have a preschool kid that doesn't fully talk and engage yet, can't really respond well, 37.7 seconds in active engagement, the average dad. Now, I'm not meant to make anybody feel bad. But what I want to tell you is, is that if you don't manage your calendar, your calendar will drive you. But families and relationships that go well, they realize that there is a time-based component And managing your calendar and what you say yes to becomes a big part of how you you move towards vibrancy in your relationships. Psalm 39, verse 6. Look at these words. We're mere moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. That's what happens to the life that isn't intentional with a little bit of calendaring. Now, we all get a little discombobulated from time to time. But the truth of the matter is, is you can manage the days you're given better. Do you understand what's at the core of time management? Let me make something clear to you. It's not time management. When you think about it as time management, it's a task often to be avoided. Here's what's really going on. Time management is nothing more than values management. That's what time management is. These are the things that are important to me, so they're going to get my time. I'm not managing time. I'm managing whether or not my values are expressed in my life. That's why I think every couple in this room, every married couple, should set out some time, at least quarterly, to go away on a date night. And in fact, this year, we're going to help you do that. We have some incredible things on the calendar to help you succeed in a date night with your spouse. Have some fun together. But we're going to throw out the opportunity, and it will only be an opportunity unless you manage your value of spending time and investing in one another. Time management. Here's a statement that I've reflected on. Days are expensive. (laughs) They're expensive. Days are expensive. Every day you spend on lesser values, you have one less to spend on your greater values, so make sure you spend each Day wisely. In Ecclesiastes, the writer there says, it's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time. We're busy, we're busy, we're making a living, we're doing life, we're going here and there. You're a shuttle service. It's nine managed sports in your household. Whatever, whatever it is. And it's not necessarily right or wrong. Here's the question. Does your calendar align with your values? So the question that was posed to me years ago was, you want to know what your real values are, Ben? Here it was. Look at your checkbook. This was checkbook days, all right? Look at your checkbook and look at your calendar, and that is your real list of values. That is your real one. And so listen, if your checkbook is filled with things like taking care of your family, you're paying an electric bill and a mortgage, good, that's awesome. It's filled with a lot of silliness. Then you have to take an honest look at your values. Because it's not money management, it's values management. And when you look at your calendar, it's not time management, it's values management. Here's something I'd like for you to think about. I think it's easy to get faked out by being busy. But the question is, what are you busy doing? Busy doing what? 
Busy doing what? And is that what the value you want to give your life to? And we all have seasons. And we tell ourselves, this is just a season. It's going to pass. But don't fake yourself out. Seasons that don't end aren't a season. They're a pattern of life that you've given yourself into. And today we have an opportunity to just stop and say, does my calendar really reflect the value I have? So discover, number three, discover and engage your purpose. Discover and engage your purpose. This might, in fact, be, I think, the number one most important thing outside of a vibrant faith. Discover and engage your purpose. When you know your purpose in life, it helps you make decisions quicker. When you know what you're here for and what you're giving yourself to and the story you're trying to write with your life, it helps you to make judgment calls with incredible clarity. And you're not necessarily looking for affirmation anymore from other people and external sources. You have a deep-seated answer to the question of why did God put you here? In Acts, the writer writes these words. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Do you know the task the Lord has given you? Now, if you don't, let me color in the lines just a little bit. If you're married, I don't know all of God's plan for your life, but he means for you to make that marriage as vibrant and alive and God-honoring as possible. And he means to the best of your ability for you to stay together for as long as you live. Now, there are examples of why you shouldn't do that. The Bible has that. That's a different lesson. And I know you have a story, and I want to be sensitive to your story. But God's will for you in general is that you're walking in vibrant relationship with him and your spouse is walking in relationship with him and that moves you together. That's God. If you have kids, I know that God doesn't want you to just provide for their needs. I know he wants you to invest in their spiritual development. And where else do people call that out in you? I mean, you don't hang out at the, uh, at the pub with your buddies and they say, hey guys, before we you know, finish this last round of drinks, how is that investment into your kids going, that spiritual investment? It doesn't happen typically on a Sunday morning in the lobby, but it does begin to happen on occasion in a small group or when you're intentional to surround yourself with some friends and you get to ask yourself, am I making an investment in my kids spiritually? Some of you, honestly, I'm blown away by how amazing you are at this. You inspire me. You make me want to be a better dad. You make my wife, Jill, want to be a better mom. That's why our church is uniquely called, and we've responded to our unique call to serve families. That's why we call ourselves here a spiritual family. We want to grow together. We want to move towards our purpose. We want to help you discover your purpose here. Why does God have you here? So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. Every week I can throw this into a message, I will. Moms and dads, here's the thing. Part of your purpose is to manage the communication in the house, calling it always to the kind of communication that is helpful in building up. Dad, you have an incredible Incredible authority and power in the life of your kids. How you leverage your words with them will serve your purpose as a dad. 
We're all casual sometimes with our speech. I am. In fact, my biggest regrets in my parenting career, I'd love to go back and take a few phrases that came out of my mouth. I'd love to grab them and pull them back in. I I can't do that. You can't do that. But I can be a better manager and a better watchman over the words that I have. Here's a thought that I'm having when it comes to my purpose. I have to both learn how to be happy with what I have, where we are. I've got to have a contentment. But I also have to pursue all that God has for me. I have to both live in that tension of it's good, but God's calling me to more. I like where we are, but we're not done yet. And not falling off the wagon of either side. In Mark chapter 10, verse 16, my favorite story in the Bible. The parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, and they're saying, touch him, Jesus. Touch him. Just bless him. That was a a thing rabbis did. They would just put their hands on kids, say a few words, and the kids would go on their way because they really weren't supposed to be there anyway. Right? And that day, kids were like not small adults. They were just, you know, like yours, cattle and kids, kind of the way that worked. And so if you could get an audience with somebody special, it was a big deal. But you didn't demand too much from that special person. Just touch them a little bit, you know. And so they say to Jesus, would you touch our kids? And if you have heard the story, you know there are a group of people around Jesus going, he's too busy for that. Leave him alone. He's got very big, important stuff to do. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let the kids come. Let the kids come. And then it's the next line, though. It's not just the value Jesus has, but it's what he did. The parents asked Jesus to touch their kids. But the Bible here tells us that Jesus picks up the kids in his arms. And he hugs them. Like he puts his hands around them. And then he puts his hands on them. And then he blesses them. They asked for a touch. And he fully embraced them. By the way, moms and dads, this is God's heart for your kids. I know you love them. But your heavenly father loves them more. And he doesn't want to just touch their lives. He's willing to fully embrace them, pull them up close, set them on his knee and put his hands on them and speak life and truth and blessing over them. And you get to be a part of that process. And until kids can form a faith in Jesus, they can see Jesus in you. And I know you're not to be perfect. And this is not a call to be perfect, but it is a call to say, am I pressing in to living out my purpose that God has given me. I think, I think it's sad to see a mom or a dad with money but no joy. Writers who've looked at this have said it this way, how sad it is to see a father with no joy. He studied economics but not happiness or true success. When it comes to this point, let me just be kind of direct for a second. I think that if you really want to do something, you're going to find a way. But if you don't, you'll find an excuse. And there's always an excuse to not do the personal, purpose-filled parenting that God calls us to. We're busy. There's a lot to do. We're pulled. He doesn't do enough. She doesn't do enough. But listen to me, moms and dads. If you want to do this, God will help you. His heart is already there. When you say to God, God, help me be a better parent, he's already answered that prayer. He wants to do it. His heart is already inclined in that direction. This is why our church invests so deeply in families. Because we know the world is stacked against you. But did you realize that you and God makes a majority? You and God make a majority. 
And with God's strength and power, you can literally live out the greatest purpose I think there is on the life uh, on the face of the earth, and that is to impact another life for eternity. And you can do that with your kids, even your adult children. Let me give you number four and number five very quickly. We can number four seek and develop godly friendships. Seek and develop godly friendships, not just for our kids, but for ourselves. Sometimes when I was teaching high school, people would come up to me and say, uh, you know, Mr. Hodges, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. and I don't know where to begin. Where should I go to college? I found myself saying a phrase that was said to me, that your where and your what are important, but they're not near as important as your who. Your where and your what are important, but they're not near as important as your who. Who are you doing life with? Maybe you've heard it said this way. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that's true for adults. Did you realize that sociologists study, you know, people movements and dynamics and groups? And there are all kinds of studies. You can Google this. You're smart people. About how divorce, for instance, is contagious. Let a close friend in your group get divorced. And it almost always springs challenges in other friendships and other relationships in that circle of friends. Now, if you happen to be divorced, a lot of us are. That's not the unpardonable sin. Right? It's not. We, we, we love that you're here. But God's intent for you is, is that in your next relationship, if you have one, he wants it to go differently. Whatever contributed to that, he wants there to be health and truth instead of darkness and unhealthy things. And so it's not, in my mind, harmful to talk about these things. It would be harmful to not talk about them. So if you're hanging around a group of ladies, ladies, and they're running down their husbands, I got to let you know, you're not setting yourself up for strategic wins. Men, if you're hanging around a group of guys and they're catcalling and whistling, and even if they're not doing that vocally, but that's kind of the tone of what you do when you're hanging out with your buddies, you're not setting yourself up for a strategic win. And don't be surprised that the values of your friends leach into you. Every good parent knows this is true for teenagers. You know, look, look at the kids they're hanging around with. And when Jill and I, we haven't done everything right, but one thing that we have been very attentive to is while we can't control all of our kids' behaviors, we can speak powerfully to the environment they're allowed to be in. And so when my kids are pushed back and say, well, they get to, I just act like my dad. Well, I'm not their parent. And I know it ticks them off, and I walk away with a smile. Because I didn't like that when my dad told me that either. In fact, I thought he was dumb and didn't get it. And then I grew up. And I realized that when you think like a child and you are a child, it's fine. But when you think like a child and you're an adult, that's really bad. So I give myself permission at 14 to think that was stupid advice. But at 35, don't give in to your kids' wisdom. Right? You can listen and understand, but you're the parent. And managing the environment and when their friendships are formed is something you can do very well. So Proverbs 27, 19, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise will grow wise, but a companion of fools will go to jail. 
It doesn't say that. It says we'll suffer harm. But in my mind, a companion of fools goes to jail. All right? That's the way I hear it. That's what happens. You hang around with foolish people. Even if you're wise, you hang around. It's going to bleed over on you. Now, none of our friends are perfect. That's not what we're asking for. But you need to have a value system and a measure of judgment. You're not judging them. You're judging values. And as a follower of Jesus, you have to. The fifth one, though, is the oil that keeps it all going. Practice grace in your family, in your relationships. Practice grace until it is amazing. Practice grace until it is amazing. You know what makes it amazing? Because it makes no sense. (laughs) Makes no sense. But I'm telling you, the relationships that are vibrant and alive and are thriving, there is an incredible amount of grace given and offered, received. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Can I make something clear? You're never going to have to forgive somebody more than Jesus has already forgiven you. I'm never going to have to forgive anybody for anything they've done wrong against me more than Jesus has already forgiven in me. When Paul writes the words as the Holy Spirit inspires him in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, it's not just an empty command. It gives us the why. Because Christ, or God has through Christ forgiven you. He's forgiven me. And that is supposed to make what's happened to us, what we received, flow out of us onto others. And it becomes the oil in your relationships. Here's something I've observed. That giving grace starts the receiving process. When you are a free grace giver in your relationships, it's amazing how it starts to come back on you. It's amazing. Grace tends to begat grace. And you have the ability, God helping you, to bring grace to your relationships. So I think a committed and growing faith in Jesus and realistically managed schedule, discovering and engaging your purpose, seeking and developing godly friendships, and practicing grace until it amazing, it's amazing, one or two of those is probably something you and I can work on this week. And I bet you some of those is going fairly well for you. So like if you just gave yourself a rating, like ask God to illuminate you, be honest, which one could you work on over the next few days that would allow your family to flourish more, allow your friendship to flourish more, even an environment at work to flourish more. Here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for our church family that God makes this the greatest year of spiritual growth we've ever had. And I'm praying that more than ever before, we treat each other like a healthy spiritual family. Because I know Some of you did not grow up in families that were healthy. And this spiritual life you're clinging on to, you don't have a bunch of practical models around you where you can just say, I'll just do what they did. Because you don't have a lot of that. In fact, when you look at the relationships in your life historically, there's a lot of dysfunction and unhealthy dynamics and just a lot of hurt and pain. That's why I want our church family to represent what it looks like to have health and vitality and to speak truth in love and bring one another back to gentle correction and move forward on the purpose to which God has called us. Because I want this church family to model for you and for this community what it means for family to be done well. 
which means if I hear you talking bad about my brother or sister, I'm going to correct you if you're gossiping. And when our words, if you hear my words get out of line, you should gently correct me. And the level of relationship we have, have allows for more of that. When we don't know each other well, it allows for less of that. That's a principle. And it's healthy to overlook an offense on occasion. But healthy families treat each other really well. So how are your relationships? How are yours? Let's move forward on some steps together. So would you grab out your Connect card? And let's see what we can do today about what we've heard. And I am not um, naive. I know that things won't change overnight. But you can change your direction right now. And maybe the direction you need to change is the direction of your eternal soul. And it's possible you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so your eternal life with him isn't secured. But you can change that in a moment. So next step A every week says to us, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Here's the beautiful thing about this grace that we were talking about. God doesn't come to you and say, try to earn this. He doesn't come to you and say, live up to it and then I'll give you salvation. He says, you don't have to do anything other than receive the salvation I freely offer you. In fact, he doesn't want us to work for it. He doesn't even accept our working for it. There's no way to do it. But by grace, believed through trusting him, we can have life, eternal life with him. So if you need to, become a Christian today, if you need to start a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to take your pen and just check next step A as an act of your faith. And in doing that, you're saying, God, I believe what the Bible says. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I trust you today. Or maybe next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. You heard how over the last year we've baptized 15 students in this church. They were celebrated. They were encouraged. But they were bold to say to their church family, I'm with Jesus, and I'm one of you now. Maybe you haven't done that yet, and you'd like to, or you just have a question about it. If you check it, put the card in the bucket when it comes by at the end of our service, we'll communicate with you about it. Now, next step C is a little bit more pointed. It says, I'm going to choose one of the five steps towards health to focus on for the next month. And here's what I'd ask you to do with that. Make it a personal decision. We pray it a minute. Ask God which one. And then sometime over the next few days, tell somebody, one person, hey, this is what I'm working on. Can we have at least one conversation about it? This is what I'm working on. Can we have at least one conversation about it? And let's move it beyond hoping to and should and actually do something. Now, next step D is one of my favorite verses, so I'm going to give you a chance to memorize it again. This next step says, I'm going to memorize Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate one to another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, or as, as in Christ, God forgave you. And let that spur you on to being softer and more grace-giving. And the next step, E, relates to what Melissa and I were talking about up here. Hey, who would say, I'm coming, or I want to come, or I intend to come to 4C Student Auction next week? And if you check this, we'll just send you a little bit more detail and help make that experience more positive for you. Let's pray about this right now. Father, I want to ask your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to do, as it were, an operation on us right now. God, I pray that you would stir up in us those things 
that need to be stirred up, that we would hear what you would say to us today. We'd be honest. God, the truth is, is we wanna honor you and we want our families and our relationships to go well. But it just doesn't always work that way. And so we come to you, Father, asking you to once again guide us and direct us. We come both boldly because you ask us to. We're confident that we can. And we come humbly knowing that we keep coming back to these things over and over and over again. And Father, I want to ask you one more time, would you make this church family here, our spiritual family, an incredibly powerful representation of what it is to be a healthy family? Would you let it speak into our lives, encouraging us? God, we want to grow up spiritually. We want all that you have for us. So Lord, as we make decisions about which step we're taking, which of those five movements towards health, I pray, God, that we've had boldness to be honest with ourselves. We'd have boldness to have a conversation about it. And maybe not overnight, but over time, we would see our destinations change. Lord, I pray with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I have nothing to bring you to connect me to you. So I rely only on the work you've done on your cross and in your resurrection. And Father, I do pray for all the students here at Four Corners Church. Thank you for the growth in numbers we've seen, but more importantly, thank you for the spiritual growth we've seen as young men and women press into what it is to have Jesus be the leader of their lives. And I pray, Lord, that this spiritual family would rally around them in encouragement. We'd speak life to them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.